0: This is Theory of Change. I'm Matthew Sheffield. Thanks for being here. Before we get into this episode, I did want to remind everybody that Theory of Change is part of the Flux Media Network. So go to flux.community for more articles and podcasts about politics, technology, religion, and media, and how they all interrelate with each other. And if you like what we're doing, you can support the show go to theoryofchange.show and we have links to both substack and also patreon where you can subscribe and get full access to every episode most episodes are free to the public but some of them in order to keep the show sustainable are gated episodes and so if you have a subscription you get a video and audio and transcript of every episode so i do really appreciate everybody who is supporting the show and making it possible We're not subsidized by billionaires or nonprofits or universities. We are made possible by people like you. And if you are unable to support financially, please do leave us a nice review on iTunes or Spotify or any other podcast platform that you're listening to the show. And you can also please do subscribe on YouTube if you're watching there and make sure to click the notifications to get notified when we are posting a new episode. So that is very helpful and helps spread the word about what we're doing. Alright, so with that out of the way, let's get into today's program. With each passing day, Elon Musk is making Twitter worse. He's done everything from allowing neo-Nazis and trolls to come back after being banned, to locking out developers and academics who want to use Twitter's application programming interface, or API, to make interesting and important projects. A lot of people have had more than enough and they're heading for the exits to places like Spoutable, Substack, and Post. The most popular destination by far, however, has been Mastodon. Just recently, Mastodon hit 10 million registered users, which is pretty incredible considering that while it has a lot of similarities to Twitter, the technology behind Mastodon is very different from the centralized social media sites like Twitter and Facebook. Anyone can run a Mastodon server, or instance as they're called, which you can use just for yourself or a community, but you can also use your Mastodon instance to connect to or federate to the larger world through an open protocol called ActivityPub, which is so flexible that people have used it to build alternatives not just to Twitter, but also to Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and create even other weirder and cool projects. These servers communicating together through ActivityPub are called the Fediverse, as in a universe of federated servers, a network of social media networks. Now, if you're not a tech person, that concept might seem a little bit hard to understand, which is why I'm going to play a short video made by the YouTuber Black Indigo, which explains things in a bit more detail. And if you're listening, you may find the video easier to follow. So I'll have a link in the show notes for you to
1: watch that as well if you want to. What is the Fediverse? To exchange emails, do you need to join the email provider of your pen pal? How about their phone network? Meep. Of course you don't, because standards exist to federate these services, enabling you to communicate with anyone, regardless of provider. Without federation, you would have to subscribe to multiple providers, or worse, the services with the most users would hoover up everybody else, eventually leading to monopolies and open to abuses. So why should everyone subscribe to the same platform to share videos and messages? Why aren't social networks federated? Each planet here is like a service provider. With a centralized approach, you can only interact with the people on the planet you live on. Now imagine if you could communicate with people on other planets. Imagine if you could share videos, events, instant messages, microblogs with the whole universe. Imagine if it didn't matter which planet you came from. Standards are a common language for software to communicate. Your login on any of these services allows you to interact with a whole diverse universe whilst not being tied to just one corporation. This is the Federated Universe. The Fediverse.
0: I hope that explains things a little bit better. And if not, there are some links in the show notes about Mastodon and the Fediverse which you can look at as well. While all of this may seem just like a thing for computer geeks, the reality is that the Fediverse is a really exciting technology innovation, one that can and already has helped to empower regular people, nonprofit organizations, and governments to imagine and operate the Internet in a different way one that, the way it used to be, one that isn't about just putting money in the pockets of billionaires like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. Joining me to discuss all of this in much greater detail are two different guests. Dan Gilmore is a veteran technology writer who is also a professor of journalism at Arizona State University. Darius Kazemi is a programmer and internet artist who also maintains a version of Mastodon called Hometown. The discussion gets a little bit detailed and technical sometimes, but I hope you'll agree that it is introductory enough that even if you're not a tech person, you'll at least find more than a few things of interest. The discussion does get a little bit detailed and technical sometimes, but I hope you'll find enough of it if you're not a tech person that you can still find of interest. Thanks for being here, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Good to join you before we get into the discussion, I did want to have the audience get a chance to know who each of you are. So Dan, why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background on yourself and and your connection to Mastodon and the Fediverse?
2: Well, I was a journalist for about 25 years. Since then, I've been involved in a couple of startups as a co-founder. I've been teaching at Arizona State University's Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communications for the past 15 years or so, doing and writing books and doing commentary for a lot of different publications over the years. And I've become a Mastodon person because I could not abide the new regime at Twitter, which was clearly going to be a problem from the long before he bought the company. And it was even worse than I had expected. And so moving to another platform at a time when decentralization mattered more than anything seemed like the right thing to do. Okay. And
0: when did you sign up for Mastodon? Oh, recently, like November. Bob last year. Okay. All right. And uh, Darius, give us your little background on the Fediverse and yourself, if you will. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Hi, I'm Darius Kazemi. I'm based in Portland, Oregon. I've been on the Fediverse since 2017, maybe late 2016. It was largely, my move there was largely, it was largely spurred on by myself making lots of useful and or fun Twitter bots that were starting to get banned in the wake of the 2016 election when bot became kind of a dirty word. So the platform became much more um, harsh on bots and uh, started banning them. And so I thought, oh, well, if I have this these art projects that I do, I should probably figure out a way to host art projects on social media where I'm still in control of of the infrastructure that they are deployed on and people can still see them. So I started looking into alternatives, Mastodon was one of the options there, so I signed up on mastodon.social, then for a bit I ran my own server, and then I did a Mozilla Fellowship, an Open Web Fellowship for a year, 2018 to 2019, where I was researching among other things, the Fediverse and and similar technologies, the output of that was a, a guide called Run Your Own Social, which is available still at runyourown.social. And, and that was a guide for teaching people how to run a small social network site for your friends. That was published in 2019. And uh, I also created a bunch of Fediverse technology as well, including Hometown, which is a modification of Mastodon used in about 150 different servers across maybe five, 6,000 users. And, uh, and it has special features for, that enable small, tight-knit communities. And so I'm really interested in the ability for entire communities to sort of come together off of other platforms and run their own infrastructure on the Fediverse, uh, in a way that like makes sense to them, and is governed in a way that uh, that makes sense for how they do things.
0: Yeah, and I think it's one of the reasons that I wanted to have both of you two here is that I think a lot of people who are younger and only knew the Web 2.0, quote unquote, they didn't. They lost something in not seeing Web 1.0 emerge. I think and. Both of you guys were there as I was. I, mean, I was making websites in 1996. And so we've both seen how the internet, it was a different place in the early days. let Do you, well, you want to talk to that for a bit, Darius? And then Dan will invite you to join in on that as well.
3: Well, sure. There was a lot less uh, corporate capture of what was happening on the internet. I mean, even in the late 90s, you still had places, you had places like GeoCities and so forth that would act as hosts, but it was also fairly, it was still fairly diverse. Email hadn't kind of consolidated around two or three big providers. It it was still very much like you would see someone's email address and you could tell what local internet service provider they were using because it was their name at mylocalprovider.com type thing. And uh, it was also the barrier to entry for putting things online was a bit lower because there was less technology to kind of wade through, even though it was newer at the time. And uh, and social media existed in a very different way back then. We had things like uh, Usenet and BBS's which were similar to like forum sites and there were mailing lists as well. So there was plenty of social software around in the mid to late 90s. And uh, IRC, was, don't forget yes, that. Yes, <laughs> and, and IRC, yeah, for chat. But uh, it, was, uh, it was definitely a different place and it was not captured by for-profit corporations for the most part. It was, I- IRC is actually very similar to what the Fediverse is today, where it was a bunch of volunteer-run services that sort of formed a network.
0: Yeah, all right Dan,
3: what's your thought on that?
2: I'm older than both of you, so I go back further on this stuff. I was a was online starting in the late 70s and and not counting communicating with a back end somewhere in from a terminal even earlier, but the BBS movement was something I was pretty deep into and in the 80s, there was something called Usenet, which most of your listeners won't know about. But that was, in many ways, it was the original big distributed bulletin board system that was very fediverse, if that's a word I can use, in its architecture and people weighing in on everything from routine stuff to really weird stuff from around the world. And that evolved, as Darius said, to the post, I guess, when the graphical web shows up, that's when there's a big changeover. And even the, I think of blogs as the modern internet, i.e. graphical internet, the first social media Of that period, the of where people were responding to each other on their the other person's blog. Sometimes in in your own, but always linking the comments, blog comments were an amazing forum for people, and but there weren't that many bloggers, so it's this is all a matter of things changing when scale arrives, and the, the early Twitter was amazing and terrible at the same time, because it broke a lot. I joined it because one of the people who started it said, hey, and signed me up without my intervention, and (laughs) I started getting these texts on my phone in the middle of the night because I was traveling, and I thought, well, I don't want this, and then came back to it. But I loved Twitter for what it was always worried about the centralization aspect and i think that's really the problem here is the problem of a small number of giant enterprises having effective control over what we can say and do and benign dictatorships don't stay that way it's a it's a law there probably ought to be a law if there isn't one now it just The enlightened dictator gives way to the unenlightened dictator, and if the structure is set up for a dictatorship, that's what you're stuck with.
0: Yeah, and that definitely is, I mean, what we're, we keep seeing that over and over with Twitter. When we first had this, we're setting this discussion up several weeks ago, I, I had wondered to myself, oh, well, is it possible that maybe things will have calmed down and Twitter will be out of the news? and people will and I'll have to sit on this episode and tell Twitter, Elon Musk does something stupid and offends a bunch of his users. And I should have known that, no, he will continue doing that every yeah, single that, week.
2: That's a minimum weekly status, but these days, daily.
0: Yeah. Well, and as far as that goes, I think one of the things that has been a persistent sort of phenomenon in response to Musk is that While a lot of the users have begun, well, at least some have been migrating to other platforms, whether it's in the Fediverse or elsewhere, like back to Instagram or Facebook or whatever, we haven't seen up until just recently with NPR and the Canadian Broadcasting Company, the A lot of the biggest media corporations in the world have just sat there and taken it. Musk's deliberately antagonistic misinformation and censorship. It's just been incredible and unfortunate to witness. I mean, and it's something that you've talked about a lot about in on on in your Mastodon post, Dan.
2: Yeah, I'm really disappointed that journalists, in the face of a truly direct, and consistent series of slaps across the face and in the face of the of a owner of a company who hates them with a passion and who believes in free speech only for his or mostly for his right-wing friends and who is lending support to people who want to tear down democracy I'm disappointed, and that's the mildest word I'm going to use here, is that journalists don't see why it's a bad idea to keep supporting him. And that's what they're doing by pouring their work into a site, not to mention the fact that some big journalism organizations are still advertising on Twitter, sending money. Uh, Including
0: it, ones who had their journalists banned by Musk. Yeah,
2: it, that, there, that was the, just incredible. It, the cravenness of that, it, again, I'm wildly disappointed, and a lot of the people who were still there are friends of mine, and I'm going to respect their decision, and I understand their decisions. But I have just could not disagree more with their decisions, and I... I I think it's there was a moment when things could have changed vastly for the better and still could. It's not, this is not hopeless. But I think that there was, we had a powerful moment when something huge could have happened and did not at that point.
0: What's your take on that, Darius?
3: Well, i mean I, I certainly agree with dan i 'm disappointed in especially the journalists who stay on there it's uh, i 'm actually I wish that there I could wave a magic wand and make people understand that maybe some of the reasons why they 're staying on there are actually not are based on lies, for example, uh, people who want to stay on Twitter maybe they want to stay there because that 's where the traffic is that 's where the eyeballs are that 's where their audience is and uh, twitter is incentivized to make you think there's an audience no matter what right like that's they are their twitter is the one giving you the stats that says oh this post got thirty thousand views on it or whatever right my what i always tell people and when i pitch this to organizations including news organizations what i say is well if you start your own server for like on your own domain right washingtonpost.com social.washingtonpost.com or whatever right and maybe your journalists aren't hosted there because they're independent people but your projects are your verticals are hosted there your you could people could follow style at social.newyorktimes.com what have you you are controlling that infrastructure and figuring out whether there are actually eyeballs on your stuff or not right so you're not being you're not beholden to some third party that is incentivized to give you juiced up numbers i think the uh, when people move from twitter to mastodon one of the things uh, or the fediverse in general right one of the things people say quite often is wow the quality of engagement is a lot different and better here while the numbers the raw numbers are significantly lower and i think that's in part because you can juice up raw numbers quite easily and you're quite and is very incentivized to do that so so part of it is I think the reasons why people are staying, they're looking at the numbers and they're saying, well, it wouldn't make sense for me to leave. It's like, well, that's the trap they want you to be in, right? Mm-hmm. But that's exactly what they would like the conclusion that they would like you to draw and so that they're going to feed you those numbers.
2: Yeah, I right. would just add – I would add that even if that's true, it's, they should still leave. Oh, absolutely. E- even if the numbers are there, they should still leave. But And I've, get, I've written about this. I'm not suggesting that journalists one day – disappear from Twitter and show up in the Fediverse. That's that would be a mistake. This take this is a staging process. It's a project that you manage by doing it in stages and bring the people who follow you with you to the extent possible. But you don't try to cut over one day and you're done that. Again, this is quite feasible. And I think that we're not. This isn't over. We're going to still work on it. There, we may hold sometime in the next month or so a day-long uh, live online conference for journalists who want to understand better how to make a move like this, as opposed to why. We've I think we've explained why pretty well. And mm-hmm. so again, this isn't. This is going to be a process, and my disappointment is only that people who I rely on to see reality have chosen
3: not to see it in this you case. Know, so, Something else that I always like to add to people in general, but this is especially true for journalists, I think, is that when you do move your social media presence over to a Fediverse server of some kind, assuming you've chosen wisely and you've landed on a server with an administrator and moderators who you trust, you actually have people who, there who are incentivized to help you when things go sour. Journalists often get brigaded and attacked on social media and that sort of thing. And there's only so much help that their employers can give them because their employers don't control Twitter. And Twitter is not really going to help them very much either. Certainly not today. And so, so moving on to these communities where you have people that you can go to when things go wrong and who are able to do things like, 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 like if one of my, I run a, a mastodon compatible server called FriendCamp, it runs hometown. And, and one of my users is being harassed. I can go above and beyond just giving them the standard, well, go block, block some people advice, right? I could, I can yeah. analyze logs for IP addresses and, and block IPs and th- th- things like that. Just stuff that uh, almost like a personal touch that you can't get from a service with a 500 million users. Yeah.
2: Yeah. In something to add to this is that we should not be preoccupied with journalists. They are one of the many significant components of the Twitter user base, active user base, popular or high number follower user base, that that we should be trying to help. And we, I don't want so, I mean, there are lots of things we could say about how journalists might make the migration, but I'm also very concerned, and I think that this is a real advantage for Twitter at the moment. It is still the default place people turn for headlines on breaking news. And that breaking news often includes local emergencies. Not just national emergencies. It's a national or international emergency. You're going to turn on the TV. You'll have plenty of information there. But one of my brothers who lives in a fire-prone area in the Rocky Mountains says that, and he's not a social media guy at all. He has a Facebook account, but never uses it. He He doesn't, he's not into this. He, although He's a computer programmer, but he hates this stuff. And he, But he said he turns Twitter because all of the local agencies have accounts there. And they also have websites that he goes to. But he, and he's very savvy about this. But he says, basically, Twitter is the nervous system for the, the emergency responders and information providers like earthquake, fire, flood, that, that sort of thing, hurricane. And it's vital that we collectively find a way to help those people get off Twitter and in a way where people are going to know how to find them. Again, a staging process whereby they say, we're going to, especially now that he wants us to pay thousands of dollars a month for the privilege of posting essential information on his for-profit website, we're going to go to, uh, what they need is a I think the best way would be to, for some major foundation to jumpstart this with a probably a cooperative model where they could join a number of different places, but that would be aimed at supporting the emergency responders of the world. And another one for local governments and state governments, agencies, and then build, rebuild an infrastructure that would be distributed, yet connected through activity, through the protocols that are under girding Mastodon and other Fediverse things. So if we could get that, we'd have a real way forward. But it's not expecting them to do it individually when they're already strapped yeah. for money and people. I hmm. think that's hard and yeah. they need to it's a, it's a
0: heavy lift it's a real heavy lift and the other thing about it is to go back to what you were saying about with some of the policies that musk has put in about the twitter api and darius obviously you're directly affected and, and very knowledgeable about this i definitely want to have you weigh in on it but like it is it's very very notable that the specific changes that are the most impactful on the from a technology standpoint that musk has made have been to lock people in to twitter so like he's charging people for api access to drastically inflated fees he's forcing organizations he's telling organizations you're going to have to pay a thousand dollars a month to be verified And of course a local government traffic agency is not going to be able to afford $1,000 a month, and neither is you know, a city of 200000 They can't pay for that. I,
2: that, that. I don't think that's lock-in. I think that's lock-out, and I don't understand it. It makes no sense to me that, he, that he's doing that. It genuinely makes no sense.
0: Well, I mean, ultimately, I mean, with he, basically, the reason why he's doing these API changes is yeah. he's trying to make it so that, make it as hard as possible to simultaneously post to Mastodon yep. and Twitter. So like he like he went and banned yep. Yep. a bunch of these Mastodon follower migration tool and things like that. And But let's let Darius weigh in on, I mean, what's your thought on some of these changes? Would you agree with what I was saying or you have another theory here?
3: I do partly agree with, with what you're saying. The I don't spend a ton of time pouring over the details of the changes at Twitter because I'm mostly working on the future on the Fediverse now, but, but I did see some of the news of the newly costed API access stuff, and in fact, I was at a, a meeting of academic sociologists who rely on Twitter to, to study various phenomena, and uh, they were all very concerned that they were already speaking as though, like, well, guess we're not studying Twitter anymore because we can't afford the new fees for all of this data. Uh, yeah, I do think that Musk is trying to prevent people from jumping ship or even from doing that transition easily right he's just trying to kind of add friction there i do think it will backfire so i'm sort of with dan in that it i do think ultimately it doesn't make a lot of sense if what you want to run is like a successful business long term but you know i don't expect that kind of reasoning from from elon musk either so so who's to say right i am the changes are extremely hostile to people who want to build applications and to people who who want to have things like like an earthquake bot that sort of thing is just it's just it becomes instantly not so feasible anymore so so i guess i don't have too much to add to that other than to provide that that little extra perspective there maybe about the researchers too
0: Mm -hmm.
2: it's and it's so contrary to what he was saying he wanted twitter to be i mean i say that almost tongue-in-cheek because he operates so often contrary to what he says that in so many parts of his expansive empire. But it just seemed to me that if he had done what he had said he was going to do, Twitter would be a lot harder to leave. And instead, it's become much easier.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, that's, I think that's true for a lot of people. And I will say, one bright spot in terms of getting communities to make the migration has been with a lot of tech journalists. So I have seen a number of tech journalists who may have initially kind of dragged their feet a bit, but then some of them have basically jumped whole hog. Like Mike Masnick over at Tech Dirt. he's basically Moved to Mastodon full time and actually now has more followers on Mastodon than he does on Twitter, so he's a good success story with that. But it's he's not the only one that. And of course, like I would say that that's probably Mastodon right now is, and the Fediverse generally is early adopters. So of course, that's people who are interested in technology journalism. Yeah, um, I, but I'm, it shows I'm, I'm, that you can do it though. It shows that you're not throwing away your audience.
2: Yeah, I'm a data point for this. I my. I had a, not a large, but respectable following on Twitter, shot something, but somewhere I'd never checked. It was like 47,000, something like that. Not a lot, but decent. And I don't know what I have on Mastodon because I never even look, but the, it may be 15,000 or something, but I have at least an order of magnitude, 10 times the engagement on Mastodon that I ever had on Twitter, Mm -hmm. uh, except. Period. Once in a while, something would catch fire and get 15,000 shares on Twitter, but that was like twice a year. And on Mastodon, these conversations are rich and deep and only rarely required the use of the mute or block button, which is just so opposite to way, the way it was over at Twitter.
3: I think some of it is that people are getting content that they are actually wanting to see. If they're seeing a post from Dan Gilmore, it is because they either subscribe to you or someone that they follow thought your post was interesting enough to, uh, to share, right? There's, uh, there's not these mechanisms out there that purposefully put your content in front of people who may not care to see it or may be completely ideologically predisposed against to what you're saying or what have you. I think some of it just has to do with the mm-hmm. how the network propagates this information and the level of control that people have mm-hmm. over uh, what they see. Yeah,
2: yeah. My, but, uh, my one uh, regret uh, in the Fediverse is that I'm not getting enough pushback on things that I believe where I'm not positive that I'm right i like it when people tell me i'm wrong in, in a civil way and tell me why i'm wrong i very much crave that feedback because sometimes i'm wrong
3: I wanna you should know. try posting technology opinions you'll get plenty of pushback <laughs> <laughs> i think it. i think in large part it may have to do with with the audience that it's reaching like because it's early adopters and the people who are active on mastodon maybe skew more technical, they might just be more predisposed to listen to you and go, huh, that's interesting, versus having their own fully formed pushback for it.
2: Well, yeah, my journalism for years was about tech, so it, I still have people in that world that I talk with a lot, and a lot of them have come over to Mastodon, which is interesting. I, yeah. I hope we'll talk a bit about other Fediverse things, because it, we, uh, it worries me that Mastodon becoming synonymous. With Mm -hmm. Fediverse,
0: don't think that's healthy. Yeah. Well. uh, Yeah. Well, we definitely. I definitely do want to get into that. I guess one of the other. If I may summarize, though, and I feel like this is my own experience as well, is that you look at the conversation on, in the Fediverse, it is. It does have that quality, I think, of the earlier internet, early Twitter where people were there to actually discuss ideas and to and and the blogosphere, the early blogosphere. I mean, you, you and I crossed paths in those early days as well, Dan, and I was on the opposite side of the aisle ideologically at that point. But there was a lot of cross ideological discussion and people, they were willing to have it. And there was no, it was pretty routine to have people respond to each other across a partisan aisle. And that doesn't really exist now.
2: Well, that's partly because on at least one side, ide- ideology is more important than reality, so it's hard yeah. to and have
0: identity for conversations also, yeah.
2: with people who deny reality as a starting point. But yeah, I was Fair. I have Republican friends who, but they're more traditional Republicans, and if they told a regular Republican these days, they were. On their side, it wouldn't be believed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, so to what you were saying earlier, though, Dan, and, we, and that was in the intro a little bit. So the Fediverse is not only Mastodon, it is not just about finding a replacement for Twitter. And, and Darius, your, your hometown fork of Mastodon kind of is, I feel like, in, and obviously you can speak to it better than me, but I think to some degree you're trying to. You're trying to change the experience a little bit for the users of your, on your side, is that right?
3: Yeah. And it's also meant to be a bit of a provocation too. like, Hey, we can change things, you don't just have to accept how Mastodon looks, you can run different software and that, that used to sort of different ideological foundations if you, if you want. But yeah, hometown software is specifically, it is 99.99% similar to Mastodon, except that it offers ways to chat only with people on your own server, which I like because you've all agreed to the same code of conduct and the same governance, and you're all kind of, uh, if it's a small server, you likely all know each other. So basically, it's a way of talking in an inside voice versus an outside voice, which can be nice, but it's just an option, right? So if I want to post a picture of... I don't know, a private moment that I had. Maybe I'll only post it to my local community. And then if it's time to talk about a project I'm working on, I'll post it to the entire Fediverse. Mastodon has its own levels of abstraction around who gets to see what. And essentially, I just disagreed and felt like there was value to putting emphasis on the actual infrastructure you're hosted on. And I don't just mean technical infrastructure. I mean, like legal and social infrastructure as well and drawing uh, sort of drawing a line around your local community saying, look, this is the boat you're on here, right? And like, there's something special about that. And so let's make that even more useful and also maybe encourage people to think a little bit harder about where they want to land on the Mm -hmm. Fediverse uh, to sort of have that community. But also, I'm always trying to promote other kinds of uses of the Fediverse. For example, I took a piece of open source Event management software is kind of like, um, Evite, like an open source Evite program. And, uh, and I took the code and I federated it. And what that means is that ev- people can use this. I used to host my birthday party every year. And in addition, so when I fill out the little form that says, oh, here's where the party is and what time it is and what day, and here's what to bring. All that can happen through email but there's also an option for that to happen through the fediverse you can follow the account you get a poll back at you you can RSVP, yes or no and do that all through mastodon and you can even subscribe to the conversations that are happening on there and you can have conversations on mastodon with people who are replying on the website or by email like it's an almost seamless experience for that and This is possible because we have these open protocols, like ActivityPub, that let us do this sort of thing. And so I want weirder, like like more more integration happening, kind of like how we had RSS as a glue between many, many, many different kinds of services back in the early 2000s. I see ActivityPub as operating in a similar space. I used to use uh, Yahoo pipes quite a bit mm. back in the day, which let you take RSS feeds and mix them together and put in filters and, and pull in all sorts of data. And you could basically take data streams and remix them and republish them and make dashboards to monitor whatever you needed to monitor. It was lovely. One of, it was a really formative piece of technology for me. And I it think I'd, I'd like, like us to get there again. Yeah.
2: Well, and uh, I got to. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Forgive me. I've just got to throw in a word on pipes. It was the best thing Yahoo ever did. Yes. uh, By a long, long margin other than the original director hierarchical directory, which was great at at
1: its
3: time. But, oh, God, pipes. (laughs) I know I could go on. (laughs) I could go on forever. We'll do we'll do a separate uh, podcast reminiscing about pipes, Dan. Well, you know, it.
2: (laughs) when they killed that off it was really a bad moment because it it allowed people who had no idea what programming was to do things that were incredibly sophisticated and that could produce visual results that that even now you have to be Pretty good at Python to replicate a lot of the stuff. Right.
3: right. Just just did. just for listeners, was... just for listeners who may not be familiar with this, imagine a graphical interface where you could drag and drop a few things. And let's say you came in and you wanted a web page that would show you a photo of every new baseball player from Japan that Wikipedia knows about. Right. And then and then also with information about the city they were born in next to the photo. Right. Like you could you could set that up without knowing how to program and, and create a page that. Showed that sort of thing.
2: It was kind of the ultimate scraper and sorter of yes. information. It, 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 yeah. I'm and so, so I, I, I'm still <laughs> crushed.
3: Yeah, launch. me too. So what, what I would, what I would like to do is, 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 is make it so that ActivityPub can, can enable that sort of thing. I built an RSS to ActivityPub bridge service that's meant to be hosted by individual communities. So for example, uh, users on my server, friend.camp, have access to rss.friend.camp where they can drop in any RSS feed that they like, and then it creates a Mastodon-compatible, it's not actually using Mastodon, Mastodon Mastodon-compatible social media account that they can follow and then just get updates. So I I have a list called blogs on my Mastodon that is following RSS feeds that I have converted and, uh, and then it just notifies me when the blogs that i like have updated it's it's turned my mastodon into uh, also a feed reader a la google reader or or news Blur or something like that i've also uh, modified hometown to to accept a wider variety of incoming content than mastodon does so you can send whole articles via via activity pub mastodon turns it into a little link stub and you click through and you go to it but i've made hometown uh render the full article in line if you click if you click to expand it and you can just read you can read the whole thing right there if they if they choose to provide it so there's uh, there's blogging software that's activity pub compatible like it's uh, there's a big one called write.as that i use for all of my blog projects and so when you make a blog on there you can press a button and make your blog so that uh, people can subscribe on the fediverse there's uh, there's this pixel fed which is meant to be a instagram uh, kind of replacement there are there's gaf.io gath.io is that uh, event creation, an event management system that I federated that some people actually do find quite useful for for federating events. Like, I really think we need a replacement for Facebook events. And so that was kind of like my first attempt at that sort of thing, since there was software out there that already existed like that. There's Bookworm, which is a replacement for Goodreads. That is federated, and people can can track their their book reviews and follow other people's book reviews. There's 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 plenty more yeah. software out there too, and and what I want to see is not just a, a more software on the user experience side, but I want to see new types of data flowing around on the Fediverse, and I want to see Mastodon and other pieces of software ingesting that data like one of the one of the things that we're we were missing the one of the missing pieces for getting mastodon to work with gaff.io as a uh, as an events thing is that activity pub does support the ability to send calendar events around but when mastodon sees a calendar event it just goes well i don't know what to do with that and it just kind of throws it away there's another piece of software called friendica that looks like facebook and when you send it a calendar event it actually populates a little calendar for you just like facebook does and and what was quite magical was that by providing that calendar event i managed to get the event calendars just kind of working in friendica without even having to do too much extra work it was it was a really magical moment to see that just happen through the magic of interoperability.
0: Yeah. Well, and and we also are seeing some bigger companies trying to actually do some activity pub stuff. So like WordPress, for instance, just announced that they're doing integrations with activity pub to allow you to have comments inside of your, your WordPress blog that are Fediverse comments, and then, and then also Flipboard actually took a very big plunge into yes. the Fediverse and has done some really, really fascinating integrations with, like, so they, 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 not only, so basically, originally they had set this up with Twitter, that if somebody had tweeted an article that somebody had made a flip of, you could see the tweets below it, right? But then Elon Musk cut them off. And then they decided to not only duplicate what they had done with Mastodon, but go one step further and then also allow users to integrate their own Flipboard account with a Mastodon account or create a, 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 they started their own Mastodon instance
3: of of Flipboard. Yeah, Flipboard's doing exciting work.
0: Yeah, and and then we're we're, we're it's going to be interesting to see what Medium comes up with as well. Uh, yeah,
3: as and Tumblr I mean, too. Tumblr has announced intent. Yeah, you want to iterate.
0: Yeah, you want to talk about
3: Medium. Yeah, and yeah. They, so Tumblr is uh, is owned by Automatic, which also owns WordPress. So it's not a huge surprise that WordPress is also doing this sort of thing. It's part of their strategy now. For for me, when people always ask, oh, well, what's it gonna be like when Tumblr federates? And my answer is a big, it depends. I mean, for starters, Tumblr has something on the order of a hundred million users active, which is approximately 10 times the number of active users on all Fediverse services combined right now. And so of course there is anxiety about what happens if they federate, right? Are they just gonna take over the entire stream? Is every post you see on, mastodon now going to be from a tumblr user that sort of thing right there's anxieties there for me it's also going to be very interesting to see to what level they integrate with the fediverse because it's not an on off switch it's not a binary we're integrated or we're not right they could do an implementation perhaps where all they do is make it so that tumblr accounts can now be subscribed to by mastodon users right? And then, uh, and I mean, Mastodon, not even Fediverse, right? And, and so maybe they just do that and it's a way for them to increase their audience a bit, right? For, for their users, right? They could do any, that or anything all the way up to turning the Tumblr dash, which is the kind of like uh, main dashboard that Tumblr users use to inter to interface with Tumblr. They could turn their Tumblr dash into a full-fledged Fediverse client rivaling, the Mastodon client, for example, and uh, and I don't know where they're going to land in that spectrum. I imagine it'll be somewhere in the middle, there, and where they land is going to be very interesting and have a lot of uh, implications. But there'll be very different implications depending on where they land.
2: Yeah, yeah. I th- I think I, I agree with every word of that. I my guess is that the 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 major turning point coming in the sometime before too long is going to be when google.social shows up and we discover whether google can take over the fediverse or not
3: and as they did with email right
2: well they i I don't use gmail but except on one account where i have to but it's a then again everyone uses gmail if you look at right
0: yeah uh, well and and that is a yeah, and that is actually is a, a serious problem now because so I host my own email server, and if you if you for whatever reason get on Google's bad side, they'll put your email into spam and they'll never tell you, yep. and you have no way of, of of knowing whether you've been put on there or even appealing it.
3: and right i'm I'm pretty sure your you you, one of your emails to me about this podcast like the first one landed in spam and i had to 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 pull it out yeah
0: yeah, there you go that's that's an example of what i'm talking about and and that's that's the kind of of Over centralized decentralization that we don't need in the in the fediverse yeah
3: Yeah. Um, one of the one of the nice things is that we are by by we i mean implementers of fediverse software and and infrastructure and so forth that is one of the main kind of negative scenarios that we're keenly aware of and are doing our best to mitigate and plan around and so forth we don't have any answers that can completely prevent that but I think we are, we are at least approaching that as something that we need to be prepared for. There's another thing that's sort of related to this is that, so
0: the idea of having a Fediverse server for a community of whether it's physical based or, or interest based, That is a a tremendous opportunity. Like if you're a university, you could have your own instance. If you're NPR, you could have your own instance. And you should. Like I think all of these organizations should do that.
3: There's a a university in the Philippines that has a student, the student union has a hometown server. And so they use the local talks channel to basically talk to each other about university stuff. And then it. Yeah. And that that is actually
0: really a fantastic application because from a, from a lot of a lot of organizations that process customer data, member data, or whatever, they have specific things they have to follow about allowing outside access to this data. And and this is where the Fediverse can really help you as an organization. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like I, you've, I've seen, as somebody who's consulted with various internet projects over the decades, I have seen so many people try to reinvent the wheel of Facebook or reinvent the wheel of Twitter or YouTube all by themselves and 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 it's never possible. Nobody has enough money and nobody has enough server space to do this. You can't do it by yourself. But if you're if you're integrating open source projects into your into your work, you can keep up with it and you can do things that people really like.
3: Yeah, and I like to and I and I do I've been advocating ever since my run your own social document that it's like extremely important to bring over whole communities at a time They can be small communities, but uh, it gets around what's referred to as the network effect of well I'm on Facebook because everyone's on Facebook right and if I go somewhere else I'm going to be all alone well if you bring 30 of your friends you're not all alone by definition And then that gives you the base to work off of to get comfortable and start you know following other accounts and and making acquaintances and really getting a foothold and so that's one of the the tactical things that i recommend to people is if at all possible try and try and bring over a whole ideally a pre-existing community like that university that has that has the server for itself. I have, a, I have a thought experiment that I like to talk about a lot, which would require me to wave a magic wand and give a lot of money to the library system in the United States. But I like to imagine what would happen if every local library system had a social media server And if you were a library card holder, you could have an account on there. And then at that point, your administrator becomes someone who works at your library. So when you have problems with social media, you can go knock on the door at the central library and like have a conversation with someone.
2: Yeah, if they have this. uh, You mentioned university and I have the, unfortunately, I have a university meeting that I have to be at in about two minutes.
0: So oh, okay. yeah, I
2: am. I am really grateful that you invited me onto this, and I hope we can do it again.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. We'll uh, we're going to be talking a lot more about vetiver stuff. So, yeah, really appreciate yep. you being here, Dan.
2: Okay, and and I'll I'll look forward to hearing the rest of what Darius saying. I'm fascinated by his <laughs> projects, and, and 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 Matthew, I'm really delighted with the work you're doing. So, let's continue the conversations.
0: Excellent. All right. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see you next time. Uh,
2: Take care, guys. All
0: right. Yeah. Well, one of the other aspects that I guess there, there are two things that I'm thinking about with regard to these larger projects in the community is that so one of the other challenges of if a Tumblr decides to do a full integration, because I mean, the other thing about Google is that they actually did very briefly, have a an attempt to have a open social network with a protocol that was a predecessor of ActivityPub. GNU Social and like so many Google projects, it didn't go anywhere. But uh, Facebook also Meta is is we don't know what they're going to do with ActivityPub, but they are talking about it and and they they've announced
3: intent the for sure.
0: Yeah, they clearly probably are doing something. We don't know what it is behind the scene, but. Let's say there is some player that does come in and try to provide a complete integration. One of the things that that's, I mean, there's gonna be a lot of of issues that could present themselves with that. But one is that for small servers, the cost of running a a, a Fediverse instance is going to massively skyrocket under that scenario, wouldn't it? Unless you decided not to affiliate with it.
3: Yeah, I, I suppose your choice, yeah, you could just not federate with that server there's also the question of how noisy like how much extra traffic that would actually cause Uh, if i if i had a server of 100 million users pop up tomorrow right like how much would that marginally increase my traffic i don't know it's going to be fun and harrowing to find out there's a lot of discussion behind the scenes in groups of activity pub implementers to talk about ways to reduce that hosting burden to basically make the protocol less chatty which would allow for less processing power to be required to uh, to process messages so so there's 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 discussion around this for sure there's also uh, you don't uh, I could imagine a world where servers could have some kind of uh, the technical term is quality of service where you uh, right now all messages are treated equally but maybe if there's a giant google server we kind of put that in its own queue and maybe it's a slow queue and we serve that a little more slowly because this is not a this is a near real-time protocol activity pub but it's not a true real-time protocol like the like the video and audio that we have going over the internet to each other right now so and so it might be acceptable for messages processed from a google.social to be on a two or three minute delay for people or maybe not we'll find out right or maybe it'll be good for it'll be it'll be acceptable for some communities but not others yeah it's uh, it's it's going to be wild but these are to me these are interesting problems that i enjoy having as opposed to the problems of like non-interoperable social media yeah yeah well
0: and storage is also going to be a problem as well under that. yeah there's scenario. there's some
3: interesting work being done there's a there's a cooperative yeah. called jordage that is basically a bunch of servers that all kind of looked at the traffic out there and said well look 90 percent of what we're hosting is overlapped with each other right like so what if we all went to the in same video together... is the same yeah the same, know, same video is the same thing. whatever right so what if we all went in together on one big amazon bucket and and we all shared that together and we signed an agreement saying you know, like, like that we're going to share and play nice with each other, et cetera. And this massively, but by sharing the costs, it reduced the, uh, server, the storage costs for these, um, for these operators significantly since there's so much duplication anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, what, so uh, I guess stepping back from maybe the the technical and server administrative mm-hmm. side of things. Um, so. I've been on in the Fediverse since I think 2018, and I I haven't obviously I've ramped up my usage a lot recently. But one of the things that I always get from people when when I'm on other platforms to ask them, well, so how come you don't? How come you're not on Mastodon or or maybe the other ones, et etc. And they always say, well, it's too difficult. I don't. I don't understand it. I I don't understand that like just just simply and just simply the idea of having to sign up for an instance or know what an instance is. Yeah, that apparently is like it's it's really fascinating because people understand the idea of Federation in email. They understand that you are XYZ at Yahoo dot com or whatever. They understand that but when it comes to social media because of this centralization excuse me, the centralization that we've had, it's a lot of people, they maybe they don't even use email there. A lot of yeah. people do not use email yeah. anymore. Like they use WhatsApp or you know, Signal or something right. like that, or Facebook Messenger. And so for them, if you're not, if that's not your world, it's its difficult. I mean, what are, I'm sure you've heard that from people. What are, What's your response when people say things like that?
3: I mean, my response is, I mean, it really depends on the person. Uh, one, one thing is, it is perfectly okay to just sign up for Mastodon.social. I don't love the idea of having one server that is bigger, significantly bigger than every single other server. But like if there's one that's easy to sign up for, you'll get you'll get in the mix and then either Mastodon.social will be good enough for you or you'll bounce off because it's not a good entry point after all, which would be a shame, but it happens. Or you'll, uh, you'll migrate somewhere else after a, to- after a time. I also recommend that this is why I recommend communities come over together, because when you have someone who is dedicated to helping people migrate, then it's not such a big deal anymore. Uh, I do a only my server is 60 active users. We add maybe one user every three or four months. And whenever we do add a new user, I spend at this point uh, one to two hours on a video call with them. Walking them through the interface, talking about what you can do, what uh, learning about their interests, and then giving them suggestions for how they might make themselves have a nicer time and, and so on. So, so that's another solution to that issue. Also, I'm very glad to see like the, uh, the TweetBot folks making a new application for that's Mastodon compatible. I mean, tap. Oh, TapBots. Right? Tap, tap uh, yeah, TapBots. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, they, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, making their, new, making their apps and, and bringing their expertise in making user-friendly experiences to, to the Fediverse as, like, third-party client providers. Like, that's, that's ultimately an excellent thing. So I, I think it is getting easier. I am still—I do, I do consider it a, an unsolved problem, though, still, especially the problem of, like, picking a server to, to go on.
0: Yeah, well, one thing that I had mentioned a few months ago on on Mastodon was that when you go to join mastodon.org or you download an app, that it should choose from a list of servers that had agreed to be included just randomly for you, and mm-hmm. then you don't have to worry about it You're yeah. choosing the server, and then. And obviously there is some, some centralizing under that scenario, but on the other hand, if, if it's a list that people can, administrators can opt in themselves, they control whether they're on it or not, Right. Then, then there's not really a centralization and it, it makes it easier. And, and when it looks like with the iOS version of Mastodon, it is now the case that by default it will put you into Mastodon.social. But it does allow you to, to choose something else.
3: Yeah, it's. Uh, I know people have very strong opinions, uh, mostly against that idea. They see it as privileging one server over another. Another to have it be yeah. a default. there. kind of uh, kind of like yeah. Chrome, making your default search Google, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I, yeah. That's why I, I I had wanted them to do the approach that I mentioned, but
3: yeah, it's it's. Yeah, there are other clients that will that will sort of spin the wheel and just pick something at Mm -hmm. random Uh, i do like that they have the server covenant thing which is like okay we're a list by agreeing to be on this list you also have these like meet these minimum moderation standards essentially and minimum standards for a code of conduct you know you don't want someone to spin the wheel and land on a server that is totally ideologically opposed to to what that individual wants right like that's that would be a bad experience
0: yeah 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 All right, and then I guess one of the other things that's, Uh, uh, I mean, ultimately, probably what's going to have to happen is that there's going to have to be legal requirements if we really want to open up social media that, you know, governments... So like a, a number of European governments have laws in place that they have to store their documents in open data formats. Yes. They ha- and I, we're going to need to see things like this with because one of the one of the problems of centralization beyond the fact that you're letting individual people control things or corporations control things is that let's say for whatever reason your account gets banned and it might even be a bad reason like let's say you tried to log into your account too many times and Mm -hmm. they decided oh this person's being hacked well we're going to lock this account out and and never respond to any inquiries about getting back in so this person is now banned from facebook that means their photos are locked up that means their messages are locked up that means all of their friend list is locked up and they can't access it and they have they can go and make a new account but none of that's automated they have no real control over what they can do with their data and that's one of the great things about about the Fediverse and open protocols is that if you do somehow get banned from a server for some reason or another you can still be a part of the network. You can still communicate. Yeah. There's going to have to be some sort of governmental inter- intervention, and, and the politicians are going to have to get this, the, yeah. this open access Internet. Like, if we don't do something about this from a legal standpoint, the Internet's going to be entirely walled off.
3: Yeah, I mean, it gets to what Dan was saying about emergency response and that sort of thing earlier. I think it's a bit messed up that you... There are many places in, certainly in the United States, where in order to get municipal news, you have to have a Facebook account because that's where you can go to see what your city hall news is posting for their next town hall meeting or whatever, right? I actually, I, I do agree with the spirit of passing laws that say, that say that basically public institutions need to be hosted on public infrastructure, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, and, and, and I'm hoping ideally that we might, if there were, in my fan- fantasy way of the magic one, as you were saying earlier, that have a have anti-monopoly laws that would force feder- activity pub support among these larger vendors because it is a it is a serious problem, and not as much perhaps on social, but it is a serious problem with what's WhatsApp and uh, other places like that that people have no ability to like. Let's say they decide to pull out of a country. Yeah. for whatever reason, and and that ha- that's happened, you're now all of your friends you can't communicate to them. And I mean, we can you we can look- Literally, did nothing. This it was nothing even about you personally being banned. You have been banned. Your country has been banned.
3: We can look at at history in the late 1960s, I believe. I think it was maybe 67 or 68. Lyndon Johnson passed a a law that said that all military organizations and all organ defense contractors that like do business with the military have to run computing software that uses this somewhat newish, not widely adopted format called ASCII. And, and that was, and, and that law that was passed is the reason why ARPANET used ASCII because they had to. And, and, and pretty quickly ASCII became kind of a, a lingua franca for interoperability, but that, happened because of a governmental decree it did not happen because of market forces and like people eventually settling on what the best um Mm -hmm. protocol for that would be it was literally just you got to do this because Lyndon Johnson said so and mm-hmm. uh, and it, and, it, and it worked. I mean uh, there's a lot of criticism that you can level towards ASCII. It doesn't support all sorts of languages that aren't eurocentric, et cetera et cetera but that's that's one example from history of this happening through those government mechanisms, and uh, probably i I would wager had a pretty good impact on on like setting the stage for something like the ARPANET to to come together and actually interoperate
0: yeah yeah and and, and we see that that salutary effect in a lot of things. I mean, whether it's being able to plug your phone into the same charger as your right. laptop. Like that is because of the European Union that yes. said, if you're going to sell a mobile phone in the EU, you have to use USB-C.
3: Right, otherwise we'd be stuck where we were 15 years ago with, with 25 different kinds of cables for everything.
0: Yeah, and 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 sometimes it, it does seem like that some... Technology programmers or entrepreneurs, they, they, some of them struggle with this idea that open standards sometimes have to be mandated. Mm-hmm. But that's the reality, otherwise you cannot move forward because the market is to... Market forces are such that companies want to make it so you have to buy their adapters all the time, that you yeah. have to buy their... you know, that you have to stay with your friends in their network even if you hate it. And so that's, there is a clear role here for, for governance and, and, and people shouldn't be afraid to say that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are there any other projects or or aspects of the Fediverse that you're, you want to make sure people know about before we wrap up here?
3: Oh my goodness. I think the main one I'll talk about is one that I'm excited about today, which I have not announced formally and I'll still be a little cagey about it, but essentially I've been working with some excellent legal experts on a legal guide for people running small fediverse servers uh, talk about what your liabilities are and aren't. There are a lot of uh, articles out there that are a bit, in my mind, uh, kind of alarmist about your level of liability if you're running a social network site for 100 people. And this guide is meant to say, well, look, here are the laws, at least in a U.S. context. And uh, here is like specifically what, like a checklist of what we recommend you do to make sure that you're, that you're more or less covered to the degree that you can expect to be covered on these things, so uh, so I, I, I was very happy to team up with a with a with a crew of, of very bright legal scholars to uh, put this thing together, and I would expect it to be out in maybe early summer. So
0: okay cool yeah that definitely sounds like a great initiative so I'll uh, be sure to promote it when it comes out alright well I appreciate you being here Darius and uh, it's been a great discussion I hope uh, we're, I'm going to be doing a lot more uh, tech focused podcast discussions I'm, I haven't decided whether I'm going to launch a spin-off podcast or two but I've, yeah, in, in, in any of these scenarios uh, we'll, we'll probably be chatting a lot more about this stuff so
3: sounds good to me it was great to chat today
0: alright so that's the program for today I appreciate my guests for joining the show, and I did want to remind everybody that Theory of Change is part of the Flux.community media network, so go to Flux.community for more podcasts and articles about politics, technology, media, and religion, and how they all intersect with each other, and we'd love to hear about what you're doing as well, so if you've got a podcast or you're a writer and you've got a project that you are working on please do reach out and let us know we're on twitter and mastodon and love to hear from people with ideas to share thanks for being here and i'll see you next time